And I, I think for listeners, it's a story that we need in our world today. If we are going to get these young children, you know, away from their devices and making decisions and making choices in their lives. So it is, uh, I just feel like it is such an important topic and I cannot wait to blast it into the world. Dun, dun, dun. Welcome to another You Make a Tribute Verse team. Versey is Brenna Jennerette, author and outdoors mom, John Seymour, editor and author illustrator, and data guy and me, Josh Munkin, science communicator, dad, and very proud conversation haver. We have Maria Desmondi and Adam Blackman, respectively publisher and editor of Cardinal Rule Press with us this week, schooling us on everything publishing from their absolutely fascinating journey to their take on acquisitions, author kindness, and hustle. Not only that, but Cardinal Rule will be publishing Brenna's debut. The Law of Birthdays is Brenna's first book, and it's a great example of where heart can meet humor to tell not just a great story, but an important one. More on that in the conversation, and stay tuned for a special mid-episode break. Hint, hint. We're going to get to Cardinal Rules and Brenna's verses, but first... Humor is hard, and Justin Cologne knows how to soften it. The Kid Lit Hive is hosting a six-session Mechanics of Humor course starting on January 9th, where he'll deconstruct humor and how it works. Sign up for specific tips and tricks for using humor effectively, covering manuscript structure, characterization, escalation, and the most effective pacing to draw out the laughs. Not only that, but keep your eye out for Justin's editorial services. Absolute grade A goodness comes from Justin's critical eye on your work and in customizable formats that meet your needs. His valuable feedback is going to help get your work over the line. Check out everything he has to offer at kidlithive.com. Now, here is Maria and Adam's verse. All right. Well, I mean, thank you guys so much for coming on. This is awesome. And it's been, this is the first podcast we've done with four people. So I'm very excited about how this will go. Sometimes Brenna brings the energy of four people just in herself, depending on caffeine levels. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I tend I tend to get really excited. I talk a lot. So <laughs> Maria, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so yeah, so we've never had on like a publisher and an editor together, which is awesome. And I mean, you guys are the publisher and the editor for my book, which is even more exciting. So I'm really excited to just chat all about Cardinal Rule Press and how it came about and like Adam, you know, what your process is and how you became an editor, like all, all that stuff, all the like behind the scenes and then, you know, how the book, how the book happened. So yeah. But first tell us why Brenna's book is so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it's Brenna. It's in route. Yeah. It is in route to her house right now. So yeah. I Ooh, am as we so were excited. Arcs are on their way, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Maria sent them out, what, like two, like two days ago. I actually messaged her cause I was like, Hey, just checking on the arcs. Cause I'm starting to sign up, you know, for like just promotional stuff like blogs and just whatever. And I'm like, it'd be cool to like, you know, be able to send you guys the books. So you, you know, know what's happening, know what you can talk about. So, so I was like, I'll just check in with Maria. And she's like, I actually sent them out today. So it was kind of perfect timing. So <laughs> an author. So let's demystify this. First of all, an author gets a box of arcs. Are you sending them? Do you guys, are, in what form do you get them? And you're the ones that send them out? Yeah, you're nodding. Yeah. How does that work for you guys? Yes. 
Oh, yeah. So um, we order a thousand ARCs, advanced reader copies, and we get them out into the world. Um, and 750 of them go to bookstores. Um, so that is a big chunk of it. And then the rest goes to bloggers, podcasters, um, reviewers, influencers. Do you have a list that you're working from? Like this is, it sounds like a standard practice for you all to, to do that bit of promo to like get the word out. Yes, we have a list and then each author adds to that list. So, um, for example, we'll ask for 25 individuals that may be, you know, the authors com- that come from the author's community of maybe reviewers that they're in contact with. So then we'll send them to that list as well. But yeah, we've, we've developed a list of influencers and um, reviewers that we've worked with over the years. Well, and Maria had said that in her email and I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. Like I get to, I get to like have a list of like people to send to. Mm-hmm. So I started like compiling my list of people. Cause I was like, oh, this is great. Like I have a, I already, I came up with like 19 off the top of my head and I was like, okay, well I've got like, <laughs> I've got like four left. I better like make them count. But, um, we can, yeah. we can have some access for you. <laughs> oh, oh, awesome. Thanks Maria. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, okay, but so let's start. Let's. It's yet one more picture book idea coming out of this conversation already. <laughs> yeah. Where you're running around. Will you be on my list? <laughs> yeah, totally. But so, okay, but so let's start at like the beginning. Like, how did Cardinal Rule Press start? Because that's, I mean, this is your, this is like your baby, right, Maria? This is your, like, you started the whole thing. Yes, I, you know, moons and moons ago, I was in the classroom teaching, and then I wrote a storybook, a, a, a picture book got the picture book published, loved writing. I wrote many picture books, I think maybe 11. And then I decided, gosh, I really love everything about the process. I would love to be able to to help other people get their stories into the world. Um, And so I was working with a retired NFL player and um, thought, gosh, okay, I would like to do stuff like this more often. And our distributor said, well, you should make a name for this. It's like, you're a publishing company now. Like, that's what you're doing. And so they kind of encouraged me to make it official. Oh, interesting. Why why were you working with a former NFL player? Well, because, because he came to me and said, will you write, will you help me write a picture book? And I said, okay. Oh, (laughs) All right. That's an opportunity that doesn't come along very often. (laughs) Yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun project. And, um, and I believed in his story. It was a story of growth mindset and, you know, he was a small player and he just had a lot of, um, difficult challenges growing up that he had to get through to, to, you know, make it to the NFL. And so it was a good story and I believed in it. How, how did you two get connected, Maria? How did that happen? Um, he saw me on the news. So I was talking about one of my stories on the local news and he played for the Detroit Lions at the time. And so that is, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's a crazy, that's a crazy way to get started. And so then it started with that book and then you sort of just grew from there. Yes. And you know, that book, um, the, we operated as a hybrid press and I didn't like that business model. And so after that, I said, I'm going to operate as a traditional press where, you know, we finance the entire project. And, um, so yeah. And after that, we, we started rocking and rolling. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I just, sorry, Josh, I just wanted to clarify for the listening audience, like a hybrid press is where the author sort of like pays into the company, right? Mm-hmm. To help like 
like create the book and then sell it. That's what I was going to yep. clarify for me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the audience. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to jump in just in case, you know, cause like, I, I feel like as a writer, you know, you don't always, you don't always know these terms and you also, we talk about this a ton on the podcast, but you also, you know, you just want, you just want your stuff out in the world. So like any sort of offer that comes along, you're kind of like desperate to say yes. And so you end up saying yes to things, you know, that you might not always feel good about or aren't always in your best interest necessarily just because, you know, because you want, you just want somebody to say yes. And so it's important, you know, to know what, what is what and what you're, what you're paying into. And there's nothing wrong with a hybrid press. I'm just saying, you know, if you don't want to pay into your own book or you don't want to go like the self-publishing route, you know, that that's something to know. Absolutely. Did the, the hybrid press model only lasted for the, for the one book. Is that right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Was there, I mean, was there a lot of, here's what I'm curious about and we don't have to dwell, dwell on this too much because it, it didn't, it didn't last that long, but I'm, I'm curious to reflect on the legalities and contracts around a hybrid model that an author is in, investing in, 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 in their own work and what that might mean for, I mean, obviously they don't get an advance that way. It's like a reverse advance, but then what that might mean on the back end, like did, had you done a lot of prep work to get to a point where you could, you could offer that model? Uh, well, like I had said, um, not really any prep work because I wasn't doing this before, you know, he approached me. However, I was, um, selling and self-publishing my own books. So I started out with a publishing company. They ended up going bankrupt. I was able to get the rights to my book, Mm -hmm. um, a couple of my books that they had published. And then I self-published for several years. So yes, I think through the self-publishing, I definitely was able to like create this model of like what it looked like. And then I just transferred that into a contract that was hybrid. Gotcha. Oh gosh, that that's so interesting, Maria. Because yeah, I feel like that must have been so valuable in terms of you know creating your own traditional publishing company, right? Like learning all of that through the self publishing avenue. Yeah, and I really like I like the fact that I've been able to tap into different models and see mm. how they work. And so when people come to me and they ask me for advice, I always ask, well, what's your end goal? you know, are you writing this memoir because you want to give it out at your next family reunion to a hundred people and you should self-publish your book. So it's definitely helped me to help other people in the industry. Um, and just to be able to sustain the model that we're working on right now. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I didn't know all that background. That's really interesting. Yeah. I feel like it, it just, like you're saying, it gives you more of a well-rounded sort of approach, especially, you know, sort of a, a newer, smaller company that's starting out. Cause cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I was told at some point along the way, you guys publish six books a year. Is that right? Yeah. You know, we are always testing and changing and, um, I say that we're small but mighty, and this is where I'm going to um, shamelessly plug our company. We just had a call with our distributor uh, a few days ago, and they said out of um, over a thousand publishers that they support and, you know, distribute their books, we're in the top 20 as far as sales go. Um, So only having four to six books come out a year, um, those sales are in comparison to some of these companies that have a hundred books come out a year. So I've just really felt confident in the fact that we don't need a ton of titles per year. 
because what we do with those titles is we support our authors and we market the H-E double hockey sticks out of them. <laughs> and we really, um, we get visibility around those books with our small team. You know, we don't have anyone on our team who's full time. Everyone is part time. So it's just been a, a really cool model for me. I'm not full time either. I have three kids at home and two dogs. Um, you know, life is full and um, I, I really like the way it's working. Yes, we could ramp it up. Yes, we could absolutely, you know, do 25 books a year, but it's not something I want to do right now. So yeah, yeah, that's way more than part-time. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, right. Well, and I will say being an author, you know, on the other end of that, like, it, it's nice because yeah, I feel like you guys are really accessible. Like when I send an email, like I know I'm going to get a response. Um, I don't feel like I'm getting lost in the abyss, you know, of other books that might be coming out. And also it like, especially as a debut author, like I was super stoked that like you bought the book and then we were just going to, you know, sell the book like that next year. Cause a lot of people are like, oh yeah, like I signed a contract, but like my book's not coming out till like 2027. So like, you know, you've just got to wait around, but you guys are like, okay, yeah, we like your book. Let's, you know, make the book and sell the book. I'm like, great. That's what I'm here to do. Like, you know, like you don't want to yeah. just wait around. So I, I very much appreciated that on the other end that it was like, yeah, it is, there are only, you know, a few that you put out, but I appreciated like the attention and the work that went into my book specifically. So, yeah. Well, thank you for that compliment. And Adam's really helped with the timeline as well. So I have to give him props on the timeline. Yeah. So what yeah, does that look like actually, from your perspective? Adam? Well, it, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm still getting over a cold, so apologize. But um, I'd say that it looks like there's the sort of, two things about it. There's the acquisitions process and then there's the kind of editorial back and forth after acquisitions. Um, I guess you could add a third where there are certain cases where there's that kind of developmental editing that occurs with the kind of R&R process. Um, and that's that's the part I have the least amount of time for, unfortunately. Um, but, I, I, but it has been a valuable pro- step process. Um, So just the traditional basic process is we open for submissions and there's a huge glut and it's all at once. And it's like interns help with the vetting. And we've got one month of just going through thousand plus submissions and winnowing it down. And then, but we do, we we go, we move quickly. (laughs) Um, uh, So like once that submission window closes January 31st, by February 15th, those final decisions are are made and Maria's already, you know, working on the offers right away. Um, and so that process really basically in, in a two week span for mm-hmm. the decision making um, is one of going down from like, you know, your top from basically from your top 20 down to like the final decision for those like four to six. Um, depending on how many we go with it, that particular year. In now, in, um, in there's a six-week span, right? Like to go from open to closed and decided within six weeks. Like that's a that's that. that's the part of t- part of the year it's, that's far less part time. I'm 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 assuming. We are efficient. Uh, we are efficient. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it we, uh, sounds that way. Because I I didn't mean to yeah we didn't mean to cut you off Adam because I want to hear where you're going with the the rest of what you were saying but I also I I'm curious like how many are you guys getting in that six weeks because I know yeah you only open for a very small window and you must just get slammed. So the first year um, that I did this we had three thousand submissions in a two month period we had a two month uh, window. Holy, um, holy 
and cow, so and, and that was, in two weeks. Well, prior to me being here, Maria did all that herself. So Holy that's why she brought me. Maria. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh so, um, and then and then we've expanded our capacity because we now work with a lot of wonderful interns. Um, so it's 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 a great opportunity because it allows us to call through. Um, because we do, no matter how aggressive we are or about promoting what our what our guidelines are, we get a lot of stuff that just doesn't meet guidelines. So even just winnowing those out um, is very, very helpful. Um, but then it gives the op the interns who are usually undergrads who are you know interested in publishing and kind of exploring a chance to learn about this niche area of the market, this the this aspect of picture books. Myself, my background, I never, um, you know, anticipated working in children's books. Um, I, when I got my, you know, MFA in fiction 20 plus years ago, um, <laughs> I, you know, I was like, out. oh, I'm to write short stories and, you know, one day I'll be the New Yorker and that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, um, and, and so, um, you know, I think that like getting some exposure to this aspect of the, of the market and, and of the industry is really really great for the interns and so um some of them come with the already like you know they they love graphic novels or some of the, some of them still um are more interested in kid lit um than others uh, but regardless it's a really great way to just like explore understand we do kind of like a little you know get to get to know this part of the um kind of go to your bookstore go to your libraries have have a little reading list um you know and then you know comment on the submissions and we all come together and review like is this one that would make it into the maybe pile or we should just um we could we can put it aside now at this point um so we review uh, you know having them do that initial work um is really uh really helpful for us for dealing with the volume um but it also provides them this great this great educational opportunity um so it's to me that is a way of embodying the the mission of the press as well um and so and so so yes, to to that like efficiency standpoint, yeah, it helps with that. Um, and you know, last year we did see fewer submissions overall, and it's I'm not 100% sure it's possible that some of that has to do with the fact that we've been like trying to explain realistic fiction only. So don't send us nonfiction. Don't send us anthropomorphized characters. You know, like, um, and so. Um, so that might be part of that. And, you know, a decline in overall submissions is not necessarily like a bad thing um, if what you are getting is, um, you know, more appropriate for your press. Yeah. And and actually, so, I mean, we're going to, this is, we're going to edit this episode kind of quickly because we want to um, air it coinciding with the cover reveal for my book, which is coming up. So this, mm -hmm. this episode will come out in a couple of weeks. So do you guys want to talk about the submission window and also specifically what realistic fiction is, you know, based on your guidelines, like for, <laughs> for anybody listening, you know, who might be interested and has like, you know, the perfect manuscript. Um, yeah. If you want to talk about that. Yeah. Absolutely. Adam, I will um, so definitely like, I'll let you take this one. <laughs> Sure thing. Um, so our submission window is basically the month of January um, when we open up to open submissions. We do accept agented submissions throughout the year. Um, 
and there's a link through the website and all of that. Um, but the open submissions are what we'll speak to, which is basically, you know, January 1st, we open up. Um, all the guidelines are on our website, but to, to the basic idea is that Cardinal Rule Press is looking for realistic fiction that depicts the diversity of our world. Um, and so that's a fair, we want it to be open-ended enough. Um, I will, um, you know, not to say, oh, we want this topic, that topic, that topic, um, because what we, what really draws me to a submission is just an assured good story. Um, and they can be from, you know, really um, finding that kind of unique and authentic story. And I, you know, unfortunately, because um, I am a writer as well, and I, I hear the advice on the other side of things. So I know that when the editor just says, I want something that pops, I want what I don't know what I want until I read it. Um, it's very annoying to hear. But of course, it is the truth. Like, it's like, we do, I, I'm not going to say, oh, I only want to have a story, you know, um, about dealing with an un, the un, uh, with unhoused characters or something like that, um, and that's it. Like, I'm not. This is not a contest. It's uh, you know, like where it's about around a specific theme. It's more about like the 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 the, the integrity of the manuscript itself. Now, that sounds really lofty and weighty. Um, what I personally really gravitate towards um, is stories that do deal, that have depth, but express it with joy and mirth. Doesn't always, not all of the pieces that I choose are ones that are completely light. Some of them are a little weightier feeling, um, but I do love, I personally really do gravitate towards that combination um, of, of, of those two things. Uh, yeah. light but so I guess uh, to, uh, to yeah. round out what you were saying Brenna yeah. sorry to round out what you were saying Brenna I guess like please send us your manuscripts we love them we um you know if you think uh you know obviously you know workshop it and critique it and, you know work with your work with your crit partners um you know uh you know get it to the best possible shape it can be um until you're like I want everyone in the world to read it like this as is um and then you know send it to us there seems to be, and I'm glad you clarified that you accept agented submissions year round, but there seems to be an intentionality behind being um, open to unagented submissions, like putting yourself through the, I mean, logistically speaking, through the trouble of accepting probably a, you know, a preponderance of material that just doesn't conform and you have to just throw it out because it's not, it's not right for that. But there's, there's a version of this in which you don't have to do that. You go agented only, like get through that part of the, the quality vetting gatekeeping process <clears throat> and you have far less uh, to worry about and presumably a far higher sort of degree of adherence to what the mission is and degree of quality. Um, but it, it seems like you're, you're purposefully moving the other, other direction. Oh yeah, I, I think it's important. Oh, go ahead. I I think it's important to be inclusive. There's a story out there, and someone just hasn't found the right agent, or maybe they don't want to find an agent. And I don't want to, you know, it's kind of like being in an elementary school, and there's like the cool club that's you know over on the four square, <laughs> and they've got four people playing four square, and someone comes up. Like I don't want to exclude anyone just because um, they don't have an agent. So I, I don't know if we'll ever 
do Agent and Oli. I, I truly believe that there are good stories out there for everyone. Well, as, as an unagented author, thank you for your openness. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I and Maria, I, 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 I think you just uh, uh, accidentally came up with the title for this podcast. Come play Foursquare with Cardinal Rule Press. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I The love fifth that. square. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I, I was going to say just real quick, like, yeah, I know, you know, several authors who have a ton of stuff out, like Matt Forrest, Forrest Essenline, um, Steph Campisi, both of them are super prolific, you know, widely published. They don't, neither of them have an agent right now. Matt has never had an agent. He just hasn't found the right pick or the the right person um he posted just the other day on twitter i think he's been writing now for like 11 years he's got like eight books like a bunch of anthologies like he just you know he, that he operates better that way and that's you know that's great and so it's important yeah to make that point like you don't always need an agent that is not you know the next point for everybody out there who's writing and steph same thing like she has had several agents i think she's gone through four but she just, you know, hasn't found the right one. She's really good at reading contracts now. She loves to do work for hire. Like she doesn't, she doesn't really feel like she needs one. You know, like we, we did an episode with her semi recently and she talked all about how, you know, she just doesn't, she feels, you know, more free, I guess, when she doesn't have an agent to take on sort of these opportunities with presses who don't require that vetting process with, you know, like work for hire, like all that kind of stuff. So yeah, all that to say, like, yeah, you don't always need an agent. And so it's amazing. You know, it's great that like a, a press like you guys will, um, you know, let unagented authors submit. Hey everyone. It would be time for a mid app break for some reviews, but we seem to be getting some interference from an unknown source. Just one moment while we work that out. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise for a celebration. The king has decreed that thou shalt add Brennus' debut, The Law of Birthdays, to your shelves on ye old Goodreads, the book review parchment you can find in the town square with a dagger sticking through it. Add this crucial text if ye desire to remain in the queen's good graces. Now to hear from two commoners on just why you should do this, says John. On the surface, The Laws of Birthdays by Brennan Jenneret, illustrated by Maria Condra, is a cleverly written tale on understanding choices, limits, and respecting others. But under the icing, the story has more layers to enjoy than cake itself. A brilliant tale about not just the importance of advocating for choice, but advocating for others' choices too. The prose is punchy, clever, and relatable to readers of all ages. The medieval-themed illustrations are vibrant and silly, and the list layers goes on and on. Says Josh. A high praise here. In the grand tradition of Bluey, Brenna's debut offering is as layered as the cake she shuns. The absolutely whimsical illustrations by Marina Condra match Brenna's energy perfectly. We love exasperation, baked goods royalty, and dismantling the patriarchy here, and Brenna's book goes a long way toward reinforcing consent and autonomy with messages aimed at kids and adults in equal measure. Truly a really great balance. Go add the Law of Birthdays on Goodreads and check out Brenna's cover reveal on social media, whatever that is. And now you may go about your meager lives once again listening to Maria and Adam's verse.
Um, and I did want to say, Adam, too, like, how did you, I wanted to ask this question before, how did you get involved with Cardinal Row Press? Because you have an MFA, you said, and you do write. And so how did this, how did this partnership come about? Do you mind if I just go back for one second sure. to answer yeah, no, around, around this inclusivity? This is your yes, okay. sure, of um, course. I'm sorry. I, 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 I really want I, I'll come back to that because um, um, I'm like sort of bored with my own story, which is not that exciting. <laughs> but I really do like I really do like the this um, the thing that I think is also hard and annoying to hear, but a truism around publishing is the serendipity of it, because. Mm you could send an amazing manuscript that does deserve to be published that I might want to publish, but it's too much like one I already published or it doesn't, because I can only choose, you know, four to six, um, it just doesn't work in tandem with those for a list for that particular year. Mm. Um, you know, and so I think that when it goes back, bringing that and applying that to the agented aspect, that's the same process agents go through. Agents will be like, I, I mean, there are people in my crit, crit group, you know, who have who have gotten these amazing, like the most like, you know, champagne of champagne rejections that are like, I love your work so much. I would definitely sign it, except my other person is, that I already have has books just like that. Um, or I can't comp have my you know, you know, people that I rep competing against each other. And so there's that, so that whole, like, you know, if you're not agented, it could be for any of a number of myriad reasons that have nothing to do with the quality of your writing. And so that's part of, I think for, for me, that's part of why it's really important that we always have at least some portion of our submission window that is like dedicated to open submissions. Um, and then the other part, um, it just applies as a kind of encouragement to like, you know, please, please, please think of no's as not yet. It's the hardest thing ever. I experience it all the time myself as a writer. Um, but uh, but it really, really, really um, is it's the best way to support yourself through that process because there are so many reasons why a pass um, just might, it, it might be those other factors. Um, so I just wanted to say that. Um, and then yeah. as far as my, my path to working with Maria and Cardinal Rule Press, um, I think that, um, you know, I, you know, I was saying, yeah, I, I had done that MFA, I was writing short stories, and then I was, you know, working and I had, then I had a, my son. And then at some point, I was like, ah, I need to take some time for my writing again. Um, and I didn't think it, you know, still was not into the picture book mindset until I started to refocus. And at that point, realized that like, all I was reading was picture books. <laughs> um, and those were the most important um and and <laughs> no that's okay and actually I, i'm sorry to interrupt i just got a, a a little pop-up here that says uh maria it's not it's not recording you any longer for some reason it says maria's browser is preventing recording ask maria to refresh the page so me it may just have to <laughs> that's okay <laughs> we'll, we'll cut that's the sneeze okay. we'll cut that this might part. Be the sneeze might throw it off where it was yeah. like overload you know yeah right maybe that was the thing it like turned everything off yeah it's and like so a, we're still we're it's still like a, all of us a riverside covid time. protection yeah, yeah nice exactly. yeah right okay like, yep we're good i can see okay. you and everything yeah. yep and you're being okay. recorded again <laughs> perfect all right
Okay, Adam. Yeah. Maria. Sorry. So continue. So you were <laughs> so you wanted to have more time for your writing. Yeah, and when that happened, it just sort of coincided with this time in my life when I had a, a young child. He was four at the time, and and so most of what I was reading was picture books and engaged story times in that way. And so I just I did come to um, writing picture books through that kind of parenting route, the kind that people might like sometimes look at a query letter and shake their head. However, um, you know, I really did make a study of it, and I really um, I had some connections through the sort of uh, literary slash social service nonprofit I'd been working at to the literary community here in like in in Manhattan. So I was able to like pick some people's brains. But most of my education came through like joining SCBWI, connecting to communities. Um, and then I um, did the PB chat mentorship the first year, I think it was out, which was um, really amazing. Um, and, awesome. I did not um, know that. And so Studio Lacera, Megan and Jorge Lacera, really were just fantastic mentors and they connected me. Um, uh, this was now in the middle of the pandemic um, after the mentorship was over, but you know we've stayed in touch and they had connected me um, when I was sort of bouncing around like, what should I do next career-wise? Um, do I wanna go back to nonprofit work? Do I wanna go more into the literary world? Maybe I should like intern with a literary agent. Hey, I've got some time, it's a pandemic, I'm in lockdown. Let's see if I can do that. And so they connected me with Caitlin Sanchez. Um, oh my gosh, who, um, who so had, many connections. You know, now, now a rockin' agent was I think newly an agent at that point after her internship. Yeah, um, okay. And she had just connected with Maria. Um, so soon after I connected with her, um, and started to do uh, a remote internship. Um, she just, you know, Maria had started to look for an, you know, an editor for the first time to to help with the acquisitions process. And so Caitlin referred me there, and Maria and I had a conversation, and um, and that's how that came about. So it was, you know, it's just sort of the the only reason, and I, you know, my the 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 way I like to share that story with um, writers. Um, you know, and those who are involved with the industry is just, you know, it's like the serendipity of connections and being open from one thing to leading to the next. And so give it a try because, you know, okay, PBChat mentorship did not lead me directly to an agent or a, uh, you know, publishing deal, but it led me into this, this part of things. Uh, I was just going to say, it just counts for a lot. It's just uh, my own reflection continually reinforces the need to make relationships and not just your work is never presented on its own. You're always accepting the work of a writer along with who the, who the writer is um, as well. And you need to get a sense for what you can get out of them and uh, cold, cold queries and, and just flat submissions are, you know, you only, you only get so far in understanding who a writer is from something like that. Um, and just, I mean, quick shout out to our, our sponsor and friend, Justin Cologne, who did the PB chat, you know, that whole, that whole thing. I, that's, that's awesome. I love that connection that you were, you were part of that in that very like first inaugural year. I mean, that's, that's so cool. And then you went on to be connected with Caitlin Sanchez, who we've also had on the show and who is lovely. Um, who's connected to awesome. like 60% of the people who we've had on the podcast. I, I know. Right. So like there, it's like the Kevin Bacon, like, you know, six degrees of separation. Like we, you know, we could probably like connect all of the guests that way. Yeah. But, um, wow. Okay. So, 
so going back to the the acquisitions process and all of that so how so maria and adam both of you this is sort of like a two-pronged or like joint question um like how do you guys sort of work together on finalizing that list like do you come up with your own like 10 and come to the table and then sort of like vote or like who has a say or or how does that how does that work i guess yeah so typically um adam narrows it down um maybe he narrows it down to 20 and then we get on a call and we work together to narrow it down to 10. So somehow we get to 10. And then what we do is I have beta readers sign um, an NDA. And what they do is I have um, children. I have a parent. I have a grandparent. I have a teacher, um, people from all walks of life. And they read through them and then they rate, I think they rate their one through 10 in order with number. And so we're able to see with some feedback and comments what, you know, the audience really feels about these titles and especially teachers and kids, like who's going to be reading our book. So, you know, that is a big part of the vetting process is really, I mean, I could like a book, but I'm not going to be the one buying the book. I'm not going to be the one reading the book. So we want to know from our audience, what they think. So that's a really fun part of the process. All of this, like Adam mentioned, all of this is happening in a very short period of time. Um, And the reason it's a short period of time is because our distributor has these timelines that are just ridiculous. So we have to have like our cover art um, for our first book uh, submitted by April 15th, I believe. So it's a really short period of time. Um, So it's a little crazy at the beginning of the year, but you know, I live in Michigan. We're not doing a whole lot in January, except for, you know, <laughs> staring at the snow and shoveling anyway. So, um, in, in going back, to, it's just, I had a friend in publishing and all he did when we got on calls together, because a lot of, you know, what Josh had said, a lot of what I do is networking and building relationships. That is a big part of this industry. And yeah. my one friend, I will not say his name, but he would just complain all the time about how behind he was on his emails because of all the submissions they got. And I just thought to myself, why do that to yourself for nine, you know, for 12 months out of the year? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So that is where I said, we are not doing this all year long. I'm not going to be complaining and worried about catching up with submissions. And then also I'm a people pleaser. Like I want, I want to be on time with my deadlines. And then you fall into this thing where, you know, people are like, Oh, I submitted my manuscript 12 weeks ago and you haven't gotten back to me yet. So that it just all works Mm. out to have an open period. Yeah. And I have to say, it's very smart uh, to put the open period in January because you're already complaining about everything else that happens in January. (laughs) (laughs) True. True that. that. Nice. (laughs) So, okay. So on, on that note with, cause you mentioned the um, like the illustrators and having the art and all of that stuff. So I am curious about, because so having, having worked with you guys and gone through the process, it was very quick. And I was so surprised, you know, like at how quickly I was able to see like, cover art and, you know, black and white spreads and then the palette and all the stuff. So do you guys have like in-house illustrators, like people that you just, you know, work with sort of constantly and you're like, okay, great. I know that this project is going to be great for this person. And I'm just going to go ahead with this one. And, you know, you can just, you can sort of bank on like signing them or that they're going to be free to, to work with you guys or how does that work? 
We do not. No. Um, the answer oh, okay. is <laughs> no. Um, but we do have. Okay. So, um, we have okay. a couple agents that we work with every year um, from different agencies. So Advocate, Bright, and Astound are kind of like our top three agencies. So what I do typically, I, I actually just reached out. So it's usually around November, December. I start reaching out. You know, this is our budget. You know what our we have like a we have a very common um i guess uh style that we are looking for and they know our style now so they pull together portfolios and then i will specifically say i need artists that are available for this time of year and this time of year so they you know coordinate with their timelines and their schedules and their calendars and then they usually get me about six portfolios from each agency and once we get those manuscripts in hand, then we, you know, I've already had our book designers look at those portfolios and tell us what their favorites are. And then it's a matter of taking the manuscript and matching it to, you know, our top maybe three illustrators. And then also we want the illustrator to read the manuscript and make sure it's a fit for them. So um, it's kind of a process and um, it's a fun process. That's for sure. They don't become part of the beta read process, though. Like the, you've you've accepted the manuscript and and all that before any potential illustrator ever sees the manuscript. Yeah, Adam, you're oh correct, that. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yep, yeah. no, nope. yeah. that they don't come into play until then. And we we have our deadlines that are pretty you know, pretty set in stone. And that is why we work with agencies. Um, you know, I'm definitely not opposed to working with um, an illustrator that's not represented and we've done it before, but it just makes it a little bit more challenging when deadlines aren't being met. Um, because mm. as we all know, in sitting in this room, we're creatives. And so deadlines are a little bit more challenging for the creative type. I can confirm <laughs> from my end. Yeah, it is true. And I, I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm pulling that apart mentally, this notion of, of being more open to unagented authors, um, but being, uh, I guess, I guess less open on the illustration side, because there's a degree of adherence to and, and conformity with deadlines and timelines and, and, and making commitments that maybe authors don't, don't have because they can produce a manuscript sort of, um, you know, at their own leisure and then sell it to you. Um, is that kind of, am I getting that kind of right? I, what do you think, Adam? Is that, I'm not, I don't know. I, it, it, you know, we invite, you ask that question again? Play, we invite okay. illustrators to play five square. We definitely do. I mean, we just, we just, we just worked with an illustrator on a very successful book this year, um, The Time Machine, Melquia Quinn or Melquia Smith, and she um, was not agented at the time. Um, so we absolutely are open to that, but we have found that we prefer when they are agented because, you know, when the deadlines aren't being met, then the agent is the one to deal with all of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's only okay. so accountable that you can hold someone who's, you know, you, you only have that sort of tentative relationship. Yeah, I think I think my question um, was maybe more binary than um, than than I intended it to be in terms of you know, <clears throat> what, that mandating that that agent relationship with illustrators, because it is it okay. is more more fluid. I um I had a question that I had written on my my little piece of paper early in the conversation that I think I think that we've I think that we've answered, which is. Why is it more possible for Cardinal Rule to move quickly? Just in reaction to an observation, you know, that Brenda's experience for her book 
which I don't know if we've named in this conversation, the law of birthdays, uh, out by Cardinal Rule Press in May 2024. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, 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 the observation being, you know, this this moved pretty quickly. This happened pretty quickly. What it sounds to me, or how it sounds to me, is that you all are very intentional about being prescriptive with your year. Um, with some, of course, with some openness to other submissions that come in that are not within that January, February timeline. Um, but really you, you have an understanding with the people that are working with producing the books, um, creatively and then producing the books physically. It's all kind of well organized is what it sounds like to me is less a question and more a supposition. (laughs) It absolutely is. I think, and from, from my perspective, it's been amazing because I, you know, I also like come into the industry from the, like you know, writer's standpoint and all you hear all of the, as Brenda was saying earlier, Hey, I just got a book deal. I'm going to see my book sometime when my, I have maybe have grandkids. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that kind of thing. Um, and so it's um, really um, great also from the publication side to be able to like, great. We've, okay. I read this amazing manuscript law of birthdays and now once and I was like, and it doesn't need to be touched at all. And then, of course, once you and I, Brenna, were working on it, was like, wait, we can make this even better. So, like, yeah, and we right. did, and we worked together on it. It was so much fun, um, and and it's such a fun story, and it just jumped out, um, you know, for its its humor, and it had. It's, I realize I have not, um, you know, gushed about your your story yet in all of this whole <laughs> forty five minutes that we've been talking yet. Um, but um, it was it, it's a. A joy to read, a joy to read in the submissions, and to know that once I select that story, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have that in hand, probably a, an arc by the end of this calendar year, um, and at latest an arc by next spring for like the full out in fall. Like it's gonna happen within that two year span uh, of the decision, which is very clear and it's gratifying from the publisher side of things as well as for the writer. So, um, you know, having said that, um, the, this was the first year when we opened up to say, and when, when I would talk to Marie about it, I was like, look, now that we've got this more like great contained process, why don't we do our January submission window and then open it up to agents throughout the year. So this is the first year we've done that. And um, that did allow um, us to go ahead and select one title over the course of this year that we knew would then be coming out in 25. Um, so same process in a way, a little longer lead time sounds slightly more like, you know, the PW announcement to, um, uh, to, uh, you know, publication date kind of thing, um, that we're familiar with, um, you know, really still excited about it and not not like a problem at all um to have that lead time um it's exactly what i was hoping for that when we, when we started to do that um and so we you know it's really like that the, the 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 time frame is is really useful and valuable i think across the board it's also that we have you, a smaller yeah. team so we have less you know we have more communic i think we have more communication having a smaller team and um, it's more efficient. I, I truly believe it's more efficient. Um, I work with a large, um, a large literary agency um, that reps one of our authors, and it probably takes me three follow-up emails to get an answer to any question that I have. 
So that's an example yeah. of just, you have a bigger company and it's, it has to go through so many people. Yeah, yeah. It's the nature of scale. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I guess my natural curiosity is, um, around goals for Cardinal rule. Um, if you scale to more books per year, can you continue to be as prescriptive and tight on your timelines? I mean, I guess, again, that, that depends on the people who are the helpers, the interns and the, you know, the book editors and the, 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 the people who are physically producing the books as to whether they can accommodate an increase sort of in production. That's um, true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And, you know, we have other, I have other book editors and book designers, uh, you know, in the queue if we ever needed to reach out and kind of take that next step. Um, but I also mm-hmm. feel super strongly about our intern program and, I'm just so glad that we are bringing people into the industry and giving them a really beautiful, holistic picture of the entire company and what it looks like and how it operates. Um, So I think we are producing, you know, the next future of publishing leaders. Yeah. And I I will say that not not every entity in the publishing industry can offer a, you know, a, a positive this is no ding on any any specific publisher because I, I have not been subject to this process. But you know, you think of the intern experience as being slightly exploitative in a in a lot of cases. It's it's low cost labor. It is developmental, but it is also low cost labor for that that generates higher throughput. And and it seems like you guys are being really thoughtful about how you approach that process and how you work with interns to make sure that they're getting plenty out of it as well. Oh, absolutely. And we right now we have four interns, and out of the four two of them are receiving credits for their internship because I filled out the paperwork. Mm -hmm. Oh, awesome. That's awesome. Three credits. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Right. And I, two, so two quick things. So I actually, I forget where I saw it now, but I was, you know, I was doing research for the podcast and just like looking through different agents who were open and stuff, but, and I, I, gosh, I wish I had retained this name, but they had mentioned in their bio that they interned with Cardinal Rule Press. And I was like, oh my gosh, the serendipity, that's amazing. And I that that was the first time that I had realized that you guys have an internship program, which is, I mean, that's awesome. And then the second thing I wanted to say was, I would, wanted to circle back real quick just to the illustrator thing. Um, so I, yeah, I asked that question just because I'm not an illustrator, so I'm not familiar, you know, with how it works at all. But one, I was super impressed with Marina Kandra is her, is her name, is my illustrator's name. Um, I was super impressed with number one, how quickly she was or how quick she was. And number two, like how, how like authentic she was and how, how much she like captured the mood I was going for and like the characters and all of the, like, like, just like the vibe of my book. Like I was so blown away by what she produced. Cause I remember you had sent me Maria, um, the color palette and you were like, okay, like this is what we came up with you know, let me know, like, should we, you know, turn it down a little bit, like, you know, more like pale pastel or whatever. It was like bright and really vibrant. And I was like, I remember telling my husband, I was like, no, I'm like, don't touch it. Cause it was like super bright and just like really like jumped off the page, which is, you know, kind of how I like to live my life. I guess. Make so, him, like, make him I was the a- most ink. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Like, like if anything, you know, turn it up. So no, it was, it was like perfect. It was so spot on. That's why I I was curious about, 
like I I don't even know how an inter or an in-house illustrator would work. I I don't know anything about the process, but that's why I asked because one, super quick and two, just like spot on with what I had written. And I don't know if that was, you know, my, my own writing, which, okay, way to go me or yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, perfect. Maria is holding up a a spread of the book and it's like, that is, (laughs) I haven't seen this spread before. This looks amazing. I haven't even seen that spread. It's great. It's so good. It's so good. But I just, yeah, I, I was like, I don't know, man, that that can't just be my writing. Like she sort of read between the lines and just like pulled out all of that emotion and those colors and the, the people and just like, anyways, just big, big props to Marina because I was super impressed. Yeah. And if and you're you listening, know, please come on the show. I would love to chat yeah. with you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and we can, we can put an email together. But Brenna, we also ask oh, I would love you, that. Um, we also ask our authors for, um, you know, character descriptions. And it's important to us to really get those characters nailed. Um, you know, we don't allow our authors to bring, you know, to select the illustrator because we do have like, an, you know, we have people who have been in this industry for a long time who are making those decisions. But um, I think you being involved in the character design and the character development is really important. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I actually just presented uh, Tuesday. I presented the book at a sales conference and got a you lot did? of, that's a lot of positive feedback from buyers. So that's really oh. That is exciting. <laughs> oh, I am so excited for my book to be out in the world, for everybody to see it. I love this book so much. I'm so excited. I showed it to my husband, just by the way, like the, you know, like the art that you guys had sent me, like the final art. And he was like, oh my God, he's like, that's you. He's like, it's that is you deal. as like a little kid. Yeah. It It is like all, like all of the hair and the yellow, like clips, yellow is my favorite color. Like I definitely wore like dresses with like pants underneath. Cause I was like, whatever, like I'll wear this dress, but like, I've got stuff to do. So like, I need to have something underneath. Like I'm going to be like swinging and jumping and, you know, running. So like, he just was like, oh my God, he's like, that's you. He's like that little girl in that book is you. So and anyways, yeah. listeners, it's a story that we need in our world today. If we are going to get these young children you know, away from their devices and making decisions and making choices in their lives. So it is, uh, I just feel like it is such an important topic and I cannot wait to blast it into the world. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm what, so excited. What does it mean? And maybe we can, we can put, put in some more celebration of Brenna's, Brenna's book into this portion, but not, non non jokingly, tr- truly celebrating this cool, cool achievement. But I'm curious what it means to to present a book like Law of Birthdays at a sales conference. I, th- I think I know kind of the outline, but is that a standard practice for publishers to sort of like shop that around a bit, engage interest through live demonstrations or live sort of looks at a, at a book? Yeah, well, it depends on your distributor. So our distributor hosts sales conferences three three or four times a year. And um, as a publisher, you have the choice to present or not. So some publishers mm-hmm. don't present. And you also have the choice to record a presentation or do it live. I always do mine live so that I can interact with the buyers. Um, and so you're, you know, sometimes they're in person, sometimes they're online. This one was online. And there's like 100 buyers for, you know, different regional um, bookstores and different national bookstores, and they're basically listening. And you have five minutes per book to present why they should buy this book. 
And so you're you're selling the author, you're selling the the book, you're selling the concept, and you're really you're really focusing on why will this book do well in the market? So you have to do your research. So you know, we pull, um, and Brenna has helped in the process, like what are some comparable titles to her book and why would this book be better? How would this book complement those other books out in the industry right now? Um, so that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, I mean, I, I've, I've read. That really is a great, oh, I was just going to say, that's a great new thing that I never thought about as a way to, to, to share with writers the importance of of their kind of comp title research. We hear comp title, comp title, comp title, and we're hearing comparables, sort of like um, real estate, you know, where you're finding like, oh, this is the thing that's comparable. And and another way to look at it is complementary though. Like mm-hmm. not, you know, it's how does this, this book enhance the ones that are already existing out there? And why would someone be like, oh, I want to get two books, not thinking of it as zero sum where it's like, Oh, this has you you know set apart from, but in addition to um, well, what's out there because, in the world, you know, teachers teachers want two books. They want two books so that children can say what makes them alike, what makes them different. And- yeah, to, yeah, what makes them different, and also specifically, if you're going to comp something, right? It's helpful to comp like the the exact like essence of that book or the piece of that book that you want to comp. You know, not just like the whole the whole book. Like, it's not going to be exactly like you know, don't let the pigeon drive the bus, but like maybe it has like breaking the fourth wall elements, like don't let the pigeon drive the bus. So like being really specific in terms of that and for comps is also really helpful, I found, so that editors and, you know, agents or whoever it is that you're subbing it to know exactly those pieces and parts that you're trying to sort of extrapolate and put together. So Brenda, my question to you is what, what, what have you done to help sort of like prep this prep? Like what has your experience been like? To, to prep this for the market, prep this for sales conferences and, and things like that. For me to prep it for sales conferences? Yeah. Or what's what's the yeah. interaction been like? What's the experience been like? Well, I mean, I haven't prepped it for sales conferences. <laughs> this is fun. The, the tables have turned. Now it's my That's turn right. to answer questions. Um, no, but I mean, like, like I said at the top of the episode, like Maria and Adam both have been super um, responsive. And so we've talked, you know, back and forth about like, like the editing process and all of that. And then Maria with the comps and just like making sure that it's been vetted in a way that is helpful to sort of like, you know, sell it to an audience. Cause like, so it's, so the law of birthdays at its core is a book about choice, which is really important to me, you know, as, as a female woman in the world and just somebody with kids and, you know, people growing up now that, yeah, maybe don't have choices and just, it, it felt really important to write about having a choice and being able to stand your ground and not having to sort of bend to, you know, an authority, an authoritative figure. Like my kid is very opinionated and I love that about him, but it also drives me bananas about him. So like I, it's a fine line between sort of encouraging that opinion, but maybe you don't have that opinion so much with your mama. Maybe you don't have to, you know, be so contrary all the time, but like, you know, I do, I love that about him because I do want him to have opinions. I do want him to stand up for what he believes in. And I do want him to like, you know, know, know that he does have the autonomy and the right to hold his ground and say no to things that he doesn't want to do. Um, and so that that's what this book is about. And so I feel like anybody who has a kid like that, anybody who wants to be, you know, have the option to make a choice, um, it, this is something that they would be happy to read because it's, it does like sort of um, encourage that, that sort of stance. Yeah. 
Adam and Maria, what I'm hearing from this is a follow-up book, a part two, where uh, the queen is putting some uh, constraints on her subjects, but they actually do listen to the queen because she's the wise one who actually does make make the followable <laughs> rules. <laughs> I love this. A series. I'm into that's it. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm available. Call me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. That's yes. Right. Oh, my gosh. I love, I love all of this. The rule yeah. of rulers. Right. Copyright, copyright. <laughs> totally. Well, so we, we are already like up and over the hour. And I just, I, before it gets away from us, I just wanted to say thank you so much for both of you, you know, being willing to come on the show and be so um, transparent with your process and just how it works. And, you know, to, to come on and just chat about my book specifically, because I am so, so excited about it and I can't wait for it to come out. And I just, I, yeah, I can't thank you both enough for, you know, choosing it out of that big pile of slush that you have to go through and, you know, believing in it and putting it out in the world. I'm so excited. Ditto. Well, thank you for writing, for inviting us and for writing such a wonderful book. Um, I can't wait to see, I can't wait to, to promote it in my, my small ways and whatever, in whatever ways I can. Really put well. some wind in Brenna's sails for the rest of her it, Friday. Because it is an important, because it, it's fun yeah. and important. It's a sweet Absolutely. spot right there. Yeah. And for, for you guys too, in particular, um, what I'm gleaning from this conversation is that Cardinal Rule in particular, you guys have been really intentional about um, designing how Cardinal Rule works to be both efficient for your own uh, your own processes, as well as kind and empathetic and, um, and, and encouraging for the people who get to be published by Cardinal Rule. So you guys have a lot of positives going. I mean, I'm Focus group acquisitions is is an amazing concept. The uh, the the intern process is an amazing concept, and the tight timelines. So, um, yeah, on behalf of authors, I mean, thank you guys for doing what you do. Yeah, I I mean, I have to hand it all to to Maria. She set this yeah, all up. I'm right. glad to be a part of it. Thank you, yeah. everyone. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening this week. Find all of our episodes and other associated links and information at linktree.com slash verse show. Or reach out to us on Twitter. Thanks again, and we'll see you next verse. Bye.